ideally what would have moved you, and I say ideally, is the beauty of the liturgy itself and the ways you've experienced it. And that's the way the church needs to be celebrating the liturgy so that the, the intensity and beauty of the Eucharistic experience of the church is where people are going, oh, my God, this is incomparable encounter with God. This is incomparable. That's why, why we need to celebrate the liturgy with this beauty that is presumed that it's celebrated with. And I'm telling you, if you're going to be priests, that's what you need to be thinking about. Welcome back to the Theology of the Eucharistic Table podcast with Abba Jeremy Driscoll and seminarians of Mount Angel. Abba Jeremy is teaching four of us seminarians how the Catholic Mass informs our theology, a method which he calls Theology at the Eucharistic Table. And we invite you to join us in our discussions. If you learned from this podcast, we ask you to leave a review on iTunes, to like and share our Facebook page, to subscribe to our newsletter at theologyatmountangel.com, that's theologyatmtangel.com, and to personally invite a seminarian, a priest, or a seminary professor to tune in. We hope you enjoy. Hello. Hi. We were kicked out, but we're back. Well, let's carry on where we left off, and you can you can put a nice ending on what, whatever it was we did. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Fair. Yeah. I would. You know, I the last thing I said uh, was that's what's new about Christian prayer, and mm-hmm. and that's what uh, that's what Origen was saying so nicely. You were asking for an example, Nelson, uh, from that time. So uh, as the church uh, prays uh, these Eucharistic prayers to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, uh, and then not only prays these things, but in, in, in effect, uh, in the center of the Eucharistic prayer, as it's still the case today, uh, there's the memory of the action of, of Jesus at the Last Supper that's recalled uh, in such a way that uh, the church is able even to uh, eventually articulate what its own understanding of that mystery is, namely that in the memory and the, and the action of the Holy Spirit and the words of the Son pronounced over the bread and wine, they are transformed into the body and blood of Christ. Uh, it wasn't taught, the church wasn't able to just say it so clearly in the first centuries, even though it was doing it. Uh, but it, it, by the time we're in the fourth century, in like, say, the mystagogical catechesis of somebody like Cyril of Jerusalem, I'm sure you guys studied that in your, in your um, initiation course. In any case, he's saying there, what is this? What happened? What, what do the mysteries show us? You know, that the bread becomes the body of the Lord, the wine becomes the blood of the Lord, and these are offered by the church. What, what's happening to Trinitarian theology under the force of that experience? There's this very strong sense that Jesus, crucified and risen, is present here and now in our assembly, and we, the church, are offering his body and blood as the church's gift to the Father. 
well, what is that? That's Trinitarian experience inside our liturgical experience, such that we can say Christ, who is God, is also our priest because of his humanity. And so as, as God and human priest, he is leading us to the Father. The Holy Spirit is under that whole action, shaping it, because the Eucharistic prayer had an epiclesis in it, which is to say, we prayed that the Spirit would be active in transforming the gifts of bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. Is that, is that clearing it up for you? Does that, does that make sense for you? That, that's what I'm talking about, the Eucharistic experience of the church, which is an encounter with God. But it's an encounter with God in which we say God encountered in the Son and in the action of the Son coming among us and in the action of the Holy Spirit and in this offering to the Father of the church's gift. That's God for us. And then we say, if we want to unfold that, we say that's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, not three gods. Because each of the members of the Trinity is inseparable from the other, always. It's that inseparableness of them that makes them one God. There is no God that isn't those three always in perfect relationship with, with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually have a question about this, specifically the Son, the presence of Jesus in the liturgy. Um, and you can also maybe explain how that's how he's inseparable with the spirit and the father. Um, but I was just kind of wondering today is just kind of thinking, how do, I guess, what's the difference between the presence of Christ, the word in you know, scripture, the word of God and, and in the Eucharistic species. And, you know, cause I, I know from your class, you talked about, you know, in the mass, we have the liturgy of the word. And that's Christ being proclaimed, the word of God being proclaimed. And, and then, in, you know, of course, in the consecration and the Eucharistic prayer, um, it becomes the Eucharistic, the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. And so that's the Eucharistic presence. And then, you know, I was also thinking in like Eucharistic adoration and, you know, liturgy of the hours is also the, the proclamation of the word in the assembly of the people, especially if it's prayed in community but it's always, you know, in a way prayed in community, the community of the church. And so I guess my question is, what is the difference of the presence of Christ in the word versus in the Eucharist? Um, I guess, how would you explain that distinction? Yeah, well, different ways of of talking about it. I would say they are different forms of his presence. And um, they are means of his presence. Uh, these, these things, words, deliver his presence to us. These things, bread and wine, transformed into his body and Christ, deliver his presence to us. So they are means, they are forms of his presence. But we mustn't think of him as somehow captured in the forms. Uh, he is, he is Lord, curios. He is, he is in his humanity, 
he is totally glorified as God. This is what the mystery of the ascension means. So he is, he is, he fills the universe with his presence, always, not in bits and pieces. He, 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 there's no bits and pieces of Christ. And so uh, what do these forms like the word or these forms like the sacraments of the, of the bread and wine that become his body and blood, what do these forms do? They manifest to us and deliver to us in our concrete here and now, because we are still in concrete here's and now's. Uh, he's, he's Lord, filling all the universe. But we are in the here and now. So he delivers to us in our here and now an encounter with him mm-hmm. through these forms. And what the church, again, I always rely on the church's experience. So the church is in, in the liturgy of the word. When, when the word is proclaimed, her experience is such that oh, he's present in the word. We hit the words go into our minds. They fill our minds, not with ideas, with his presence. Uh, and so do the forms the means of what appears to be bread and wine, but is his body and blood. These, these fill us with his presence. We experience, we could say, and, and I put it this way in, in, in class with you guys, uh, the sacramental action proclaims in its own way and at a deeper level uh, the same thing that the word uh, delivers. So that there's something about the form of bread and wine, uh, eaten and drunk, that delivers what we experience as an even more intense presence of the risen Lord to us. And it's, uh, and that's, that's just the nature of this particular form in which he comes. That there's, there's something for human beings in our experience, something more powerful than words. And it's, it's material contact. Uh, so I don't want to, you know, so in, in, for that reason, we say that the privileged presence of the, of the risen Lord is in, is in the Eucharistic species of bread and wine. That's correct. That, that responds to our experience. But you don't want to come out saying, and so he's less present in the word or something like that. He's not less present anywhere where he's present. <laughs> he's just present in different forms. And we experience those forms with greater or lesser intensity. That will, so that will help us to, to have a great reverence for his presence in forms that aren't as intense as the Eucharistic presence for us. Because like I, I just said, he's not only kind of present in his word and more present in the Eucharist. He's not only kind of present in the, in the poor and the hungry and the naked who are clothed by us. He's, he's totally present there. Those are just different forms. So yeah. that's the way. Does that help? Yeah, that does help. And I don't know if this would be, I guess, making it too, defining things too much or I guess, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but when you were talking about the word coming into your mind, I was thinking that is kind of a, I guess, 
the form I was just thinking of, you know, the idea of body, mind, soul, and that through the word you receive it into your mind. And in a way, uh, the Eucharistic species is more physical. You physically receive the body and blood of Christ in the presence of of the bread and wine. Um, And, but in both of those cases, it would still be, I guess, the spiritual and presence of Christ. And, and, And like you say, it's not like there's different, or part just part of his presence in one and part of his presence in another or something. He's totally present. But I guess through the word, it's more of a, a mental thing where through the Eucharist, it's more of a physical thing. Um, so I don't know if that's, that's very correct. That's, yeah. You can do that, but don't do it too much. I, yeah. <laughs> in the sense of remember that, that dictum from von Balthasar that I use for this, the word becomes more and more flesh and the flesh becomes more and more word. You know, we think of words going into our minds and everything, but I, I enjoy that reality about words, that words, words are pretty physical too. Words are throats making sounds, hitting eardrums, and uh, brains receiving them. And this is, you know, this is, this is uniquely human. Other animals make little sounds at each other, but human beings make very refined sounds and with their bodies. Uh, and in doing so, uh, find each other's inner essence in a way that is this is divine. Words themselves are divine. It's one of the titles for the second person of the Holy Trinity. So there's something very intensely divine about the human reality of words. Uh, that's godly. Because God has a word from all eternity. This is so, and, and, and in the same way that words entering our minds change us in our whole being and thus in our bodies, words make us get up and go with our bodies. Uh, words drove the word Jesus in the flesh to do all that he did. So uh, that's why I don't want to make it too like words are mental and, and sacraments are physical. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it's much more mystical than that. So. <laughs> yeah. What else? One um, question that comes up and I don't know how helpful this is. I, when I first started studying the faith, I started, studying it through a lens of apologetics and I think sometimes it's helpful, but sometimes it's been a hindrance for me. So if it's not helpful here, then just ignore it. But thinking about the different ways in which Christ manifests himself. And we've talked about the word we've talked about the, in the Eucharistic species, talked about the poor when we clothe the poor in the name of Christ and naked when we clothe them or feed the poor, clothe the naked. Is there, so in apologetics, one distinction they make is they say, you know, in the, in the liturgy, in the Eucharist, in the Eucharistic assembly, Christ is present in four ways, in the community, in the priest, in the word proclaimed, and in the Eucharistic species. But it, he is substantially present in the Eucharistic species. So they make the distinction that the Eucharist, is bread and wine, trans, trans, transubstantiated into body and blood of Christ, is a substantial presence of Christ, whereas the others 
are maybe mystical, as you just said, or some other manifestation. Does that, is that helpful at all or no? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's a more technical language that describes what I was trying to describe before, uh, that it is our experience uh, that there's an uh, intensity of the presence of Christ in the Eucharistic species. That, that's what I was referring to. And if we use the word substantially present, uh, then that's a way of identifying uh, the presence in, 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 the, in the, uh, what appears to be bread and wine, that he's, he, he's completely there. But I don't, in order to make that point, I don't want to say, and he's kind of not as much there in the rest. I just say the form is such that um, in the other people, you, you wouldn't ever, well, just let's answer it with the liturgy itself. In the liturgy itself, when the bread and wine have been transformed into the body and blood of Christ, we have liturgical actions in which we, we, we reverence that, we genuflect, we handle it uh, with the greatest of reverence and consume it with the greatest of reverence. It, we adore Christ in it. We don't do that with the other forms of his presence. We don't adore Christ in the priest in whom he's present. We don't adore Christ in the assembly in whom he's present, nor do we adore the word as word. So those are, that's just, that's liturgy answering the difference, the rubrics themselves. And so, uh, and, and you could also say that the reservation of the sacrament afterwards and the adoration of the sacrament afterwards, which we don't, you know, we need to understand that one wasn't, we know how, how it is that Jesus is in the tabernacle. He just didn't somehow wind up there and you go and adore him. He's he, he, there through the Eucharistic action. Hmm. And we remember that when we go and adore him. But again, all those are, are what the church is trying to say, substantially present in. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's for sure. It's a helpful distinction. And it responds to the way the church has experienced this and the way the church's liturgical uh, ritual action around the transformed bread and wine, the way she conducts herself in the presence of these, you know, mm -hmm. that's why we say that. Well, maybe we've gone a little far from the topic of Trinity at the Eucharist. Brother Israel, when he left for a class, he left us with a question and we've been touching on him, but wondering if you have other thoughts you want to add to it. His question was, well, why, why does it really matter to talk about God as Father, Son, and Spirit? Yeah, well, that is the Christian revelation. Uh, that is, that's what's new here. Uh, that's what's unheard of and unexpected. This is what God has revealed of himself in Jesus. And in revealing uh, this unexpected dimension of the one God, uh, God has revealed who God is. And this is tremendous. Uh, and there's, this is, this is incomparable, literally. In, it's not to be compared with any other 
uh, human effort to, to say or know who God is. Uh, you know, this is in the present mood of, the, of our very uh, fair thinking world thinks, well, you can't, you can't announce the gospel to other cultures and other religions because they have their own versions of God. Well, Christianity has never accepted that because uh, we believe this is why we this is why uh, we share the faith and try to bring others into it because we believe that God here has given the whole human race a definitive revelation of who God is, and it is precisely uh, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come among us in the Jesus crucified and risen. So this is this is of definitive. Uh, consequences for the whole human race. And so if we don't talk about that, well, then we're not talking about, we're not, but we're not Christian. We're not, we're not faithful to, to all that's revealed. Uh, and this is not just knowledge about God. Oh, isn't that interesting? Who would have ever thought God is one in three? No, it isn't interesting. It's, 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 it's what we're invited into. This is how we, God, God's plan is to share his own divine life with us. And if that is God's plan, it's not, it's not a vague plan. Oh, I made human beings all vaguely share my life with them. Well, he does that in the creation itself. Of keeping us alive is God sharing his life with us. But he's got a much more intense desire of sharing his divine life with us. For which reason, then, we need to understand the Trinity, because that's the divine life that's being shared. For which reason, we need to see that he has created us and redeemed us from the, from the creation that we came close to destroying by our sin. He has created us and redeemed us precisely so that we could enter into the Trinitarian relationships ourselves. And not just vaguely, but in a precise place, in the place of the Son. St. Paul calls it by adoption. We, we, are, we are with the Son where the Son is from all eternity. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit that enables us to say of the Son, Jesus is Lord, and the Spirit is the Spirit that enables us to say with Jesus, Abba, Father to God. This is how we share divine life. So we're not going to talk about Trinity. We're only going to talk vaguely about God. Then we're not sharing in the divine life at the level uh, that, that God intends us to share it, which is inside himself, inside his own divine life. That uh, can bring us, and we don't have much more time, but th that can bring us to one of the things that we didn't get to in the chapter uh, of my book, and that's about uh, the ecclesial relationships uh, of unity that we have among ourselves in the Eucharistic Assembly, which is rooted in the uh, unity of the Trinity. I think, I think that's very important for us to understand. And, and 
unless the, the, the other three members of this discussion veto me, I think we still need yet another session on the Trinity after this <laughs> to do precisely that. And to, to, we can start it now. But to speak at some length of, of the way in which, by means of the Eucharist, we don't, it's not enough to say we share the divine life the way I just said it. We share the divine life in the place of the Son with the Spirit enabling us to say Father to God. Okay, we. We, if, if that's really the way we share divine life, then that means also unity among ourselves. Or it also means that if we are not in unity among ourselves, then we are somehow breaking our own share in the divine life. So the unity of the church is a vital dimension of our living and sharing in Trinitarian life. Uh, the unity of the church, this is why I have emphasized that the unity of the church <clears throat> is not rooted in human efforts at unity. We talked about this in a, in a previous uh, episode. Uh, but it is all part of God's gift, but it's a gift that we need to receive with understanding and with care, and it's a gift that we need to preserve. Um, but um, so uh, that's where it's on, in my book, it's on page, it's on page 190. Uh, and you remember that chapter begins, I'm, I am not you and you are not me, but I am not me without my relationship with you. But that's not just a sort of a rah-rah thing in the end. They're like, oh, let's all be nice to one another and, and I can't be me without you. There's it, nothing sentimental about that. It's a divine arrangement that I am not, I am not me without my relationship with you. Not because there's something really lovely and special about you or me. It's because Christ is taking all of us together into himself. And we cannot be in Christ without, without experiencing the way in which he relates us to one another in perfect love and charity. So that's, uh, that's what this uh, part of the book is about. And uh, after I say it in negative terms, uh, in the beginning of, uh, on page 190, I, I say, how can we say it in, in positive terms? And, and it's, it's this, that no one in the liturgical assembly is an individual who subsists or can be defined in his own right. Each is who he is because of a precise relation a holy order in which he stands to the other. So what is my relationship with you of unity? And my relationship of unity with you is not just me looking at you and you looking at me. It's a relationship with the bishop or who presides at Eucharist or the priest who presides in his place at Eucharist, who is a sacrament of the presence of Christ. So this is to say, my relationship with the bishop is not, oh, well, why should I have a relationship with the bishop? Because he's a sacrament of Christ. So it's a relationship with Christ. And uh, the relationship with Christ uh, means that I receive who I am from my relationship with Christ. It, it, I'm a new creation in him. Really a new creation. 
And that new creation includes you and everyone in this assembly and everyone in the church. It includes that relationship. And the Eucharist and all the action of the Eucharist is in fact bringing those relationships about. We are enacting those relationships by enacting communion with the bishop and one another in the liturgical action. And so that constant, Zizulas is, is, it's Zizulas's expression uh, that we, we receive an ecclesial identity. It doesn't sound very interesting, an ecclesial identity. <laughs> but if you think about it, it's, it's, a, it's really a beautiful reality that who, who I am is totally defined ultimately by my relationship with Christ, which I have through this Eucharistic celebration. That's, that's my, it causes my identity to come into being. I guess I have a more practical question that, yes, it helps us to understand that our identity in the assembly and our identity in Christ and his church and in the liturgy. Um, but how do we teach that to others, um, especially as seminarians? Because as a priest, you can preach it more in your homily. Maybe you can have a class on it or something. But like just in everyday conversation, I guess maybe you have to make an effort to kind of bring that up and try to explain the liturgy more and its importance. Because I feel like so many people just go to Mass um, you know, maybe they go every week faithfully, but they don't understand this Trinitarian understanding of the liturgy of their own identity within the assembly and their, through their baptism and their participation in the liturgy. So, so I think that I might not be very good at uh, the practical dimensions of this. I might be, uh, but if I am, it would be in this direction. What I try to do with you guys with, you know, the four of you, but I mean, with seminarians in general, I've been teaching seminarians for decades. What I try to do with you guys is show you the depth and the beauty of the church's teaching and, and to let it move you uh, and to let you see that it moves me. And once you get something on that level, you are moved to move others. And uh, that's why I'm moved uh, to teach. And once you understand something, you can teach it. You will be driven to teach it in various ways. I mean, you see me in the classroom, but I'm driven by this in everything I do. Uh, and so should you be as priests. You've heard me exhort you, especially in the preaching class, uh, give the people this the goods. We, we think, oh, they can't understand this. Of course they can understand this. God would not have revealed himself in some form we can't understand. It's a, that's a flopped revelation. Jesus is not flopped revelation. He's totally effective revelation. And we just, we, so it's, I think, my only practical advice for you, Caleb, I don't have a formula of what you could do. 
uh, and to, to let people know. But what I'm trying to do is affect you. And you will know what to do because uh, you will just do it. You'll, uh, and, and, and the Lord will give you countless opportunities to do it because people will ask you because of who you are. They'll go, wow, I can talk to that guy. Why is, why is he happy? Why is he celebrating Mass that way? How, why is, listen, look at the way he preaches. Look at how kind he is, whatever it is. And then always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you, should anyone ask. You know, that's the First Peter 3.15. Yeah. Okay. So I, you know, like I say, I maybe am not very good at practical in the sense that I, you know, I don't go, okay, I, I will design a program <laughs> for uh, spreading the depth of Trinitarian doctrine uh, in the life of the church. No, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to move you guys and teach you guys at, at the deepest level of your being is where I hope to reach you. Mm-hmm. This is not just school. You can tell this is not just school. Caleb, you can also have extra copies of his book available and send them out. <laughs> What's that? We can also have extra copies of your books available and just hand them out. Oh, well, yes. I need to write a simpler book than that about all this. Simpler in the sense of, you know, in the same voice of what happens at Mass and now also my new book, Awesome Glory. But my new book, Awesome Glory, will, uh, that's the one on resurrection. Huh? Uh, I think that will, that will help a lot because it, it too, is, it's, it's about resurrection. So it's about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just about Jesus. If it's about if it's about anything about Jesus, then it's about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I joke, but of course, I'm very moved by by your answer, Father Abbott, and I, I need to hear that again and again and remind myself of that again and again because I'm often inclined to want to meet people, meet others with propositions of the faith, with with statements about truth. Whereas it seems that more often we attract people not by truth, but by, by beauty. And, and Jesus says that they'll, well, I believe it's Jesus. Maybe it's one of the apostles, but that they'll know that, well, yeah, it can't be Jesus, but they'll know that we're Christians by our love. Right. Yeah. Correct me. Who, who says that? It's somewhere in there. Jesus in Jesus's own words that they may be one so that the, world may know that you sent me yeah you find it all sorts of place uh, and of course it's in that, what love is. yeah it's in that hymn uh, of course it's in that hymn of course but i thought there is yeah. a scripture scriptural foundation for that hymn but anyway there is kind of a scripture of that but that that hymn sort of smashes about three scriptures into one okay so but that idea that right it's our it's our love that that is the first place of encounter and then from that love once someone is, is open then then first peter 315 comes in and yeah we're ready to give an account for the hope that's within us then we can articulate that in these ways that you're doing to us now but if we had never met you and hadn't spent time with you and hadn't known the love that you have for us and for your community then we might not have been as open to what you want to share with us maybe so and that's 
that's just the way it works, isn't it? But ideally, what would have moved you, and I say ideally, is the beauty of the liturgy itself and the ways you've experienced it. And that's the way the church needs to be celebrating the liturgy so that the, the intensity and beauty of the Eucharistic experience of the church is where people are going, oh, my God, this is incomparable encounter with God. This is incomparable. And uh, that's why, why we need uh, to celebrate the liturgy with this beauty that is presumed that it's celebrated with and, and in our own experience, so sadly often isn't, you know. Mm. But uh, so, you know, so you met me, you said, uh, fine, uh, but just uh, what I, what's driving me, my own encounter of the beauty of the liturgy. And I'm telling you, that's what, if you're going to be priests, that's what you need uh, to be thinking about. Well, this is probably the best place to stop. Thank you, Father Abbott. Thank you, Caleb. Okay, we're out of time. I see that. We're tick, 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 less than a minute, it says. That's All right. right, goodbye, you guys. It's been great talking with you, Caleb, Nelson. I love mm-hmm. you both. Okay. Likewise, Lovely. Father Abbott. Thank you. Hopefully, okay. hopefully we'll get better yeah. next time. I'm glad I could okay. get on again. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and and what, I thought you said Ben was coming. Nope. He, he's texted me. He said he had internet issues. He's in Alaska, you know. He has a hard time connecting yeah. to the, the World Wide Web. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. God bless. God bless you. Right. See you around. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Theology at the Eucharistic Table podcast. Remember to leave us a review on iTunes which helps those who are searching for content similar to ours to find our show, to like and share our Facebook page, to subscribe to our newsletter at theologyatmountangel.com, that's theologyatmtangel.com, and to tell your friends about our podcast, especially the seminarians, priests, and seminary professors whom you know. Above all, we ask you to pray for us seminarians, priests, monks, and professors at Mount Angel Abbey and Seminary and to take the content from this episode into your own prayer. Until next time.